I've got a west side baby She lives way across town I've got a west side baby She lives way across town And when I'm with my baby I don't want a soul around Now she's kind of tall and lanky She's always dressing swell She sets my soul on fire When she rings my front doorbell Yes, I've got a west side baby She lives way across town And when I'm with my baby I don't want a soul around Now Monday morning early Someone banged up on my door I knew it wasn't my baby Cause she's never knocked before So I laid in bed and wondered Who could the caller be? I thought it was the insurance man Cause he's been heckling for me Crazy about my west side, baby She lives way across town And when I'm with my baby I don't want a soul around Hi everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stairwells. We're back <gasps> from the goddamn dead. <laughs> I'm Autumn, I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. I haven't heard you say that in 600 years. <laughs> I'm so parched. Connor McLeod gets bitches more often than we do this podcast. Well, recently. Not overall. Not overall. How are you? I'm still a little bit sick. I'm still a little bit sick. Yeah. I didn't get COVID. Uh, Mm. We got something else. Um but it's it's had a long tail. Uh, so we're recording this Friday. Uh, I took Monday off of work. If people listen to Around the Long Fire, I think I talked about this there as well. Um, but yeah, I took uh, Monday off. Um, Sunday was the day where I was like really just laid the fuck out. Like I, I was barely functioning, uh, which did coincide with my parents visiting. Um, so or no, that was Saturday. Saturday, I was also pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Um Emily just let me sleep in and just took uh, our toddler to go 
to the color factory with um with my parents so i i got spared all of that and just like a big thing we'll we'll get to one of the things i've been doing is i i have somehow played now like 14 hours of chrono cross um which is just moving at a, a pace through this game that i was not expecting i was starting it now being like we're gonna record this in may mm-hmm. uh i'll chip away at it like a, a little bit a week you know my uh-huh. goal was like uh you know, maybe like four hours, you know, like when I heard you're not the only person playing that game now. (laughs) Correct. I mean, I, sometimes my toddler wants to hold the controller and push some buttons, but it's like JRPGs require reading and, uh, strategy in a way that, um, my toddler cannot, my toddler can't read other than recognizing, uh, you know, letters in their name. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. So, uh, and like yeah. there, are, there are other like they could probably do like a Paper Mario game mechanically. Like you could probably yeah. teach them some simpler JRPGs, but JRPGs do just require reading. And yeah. also, you have the most strategically complex like JRPG on the PS One. <laughs> It's not the most strategic. Yeah, so the thing is story that, still exists. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Chrono Cross is not a hard game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, There is a mechanical complexity to it. Uh, I think that if you know what you're doing, it can be an extremely easy game. Like, I play it now, and I'm just... I never sweat a boss, because I, I just know, like... Here's the basic strategies. I've also played it enough that I know like, oh, this boss late in the fight is often going to use this high level element. And so if you lay a trap for that element, they don't get to attack you with it and you get the element and stuff like that. It's just like, that's shit that I just learned over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also stuff that I learned when I was a kid and I would fight that boss and then I would get wiped by that. And then I would go and, you know, get the trap element, uh, buy it from Marbule and then all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I just have it in my head. So I'm just like prepared when I go into fights. Um, but yeah, it's like, there's, there's just a level of reading involved too, of being like, here is how the attacks work and then how to select the elements and knowing what the different like element spells do. Um, a thing that my kid gets slightly annoyed at sometimes is after we play a little bit, I'll be like, all right, I need to reallocate the elements because we're going into like a different area where it's not mostly yellow enemy types. It's going to be red enemy types. And so like, we need to change this up. Uh, and my kids just like, it's boring watching you like put the, the spells. There. <laughs> uh, although they've started to like notice patterns of like, okay, if we're going into a place that's going to have lots of red an- uh, enemies, I'm going to like make sure that everybody has strong blue elements, but I also want to mix in a few other elements just in, like for the odd enemies that will sometimes show up. Uh-huh. Um, and so then my kid will be like, Oh, make sure that you put a green one on there or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it. Like, they're quickly picking up stuff that I'm saying. Uh, the funniest part is that they know the conditions now to cast a summon. Um, and so, and they really like when I cast summons. They think it's really fun. Uh, especially because there's one character that they've decided is them. Um, <laughs> and is blue element, and the first summon you get is blue. So they always want their character to cast the the blue summon. Uh-huh. Um, 
so yeah, they will like tell me when like conditions are right that I can start uh, prepping things to cast the summon. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, like every evening they come back and they're like, can we play that game? And they just point it because I, I have it set up on like a tube TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, often it's like, no, I have to make dinner. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. like feed you, uh, but sometimes Emily has cooked so that we can play. Um, especially we were we were in uh, one dungeon that has like there's like a central hub room that has a save point, and then you go off like various spokes into little rooms to solve puzzles. And so it's very easy to be like, tonight we're just going to do one of these like spokes, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, because there's, it's just like a very predictable. Like we can get back to a save point when it's time to eat or whatever. Um, but for the most part, I've been like, we'll do it weekends. But I feel like I'm still gonna move through this game faster. Um, it's been weird that like, uh, it's been a little bit since I've replayed it. Um, but I've I've played this game a lot, like mm-hmm. many many times. Um, and. Every time I play it, it's, like, people will talk about, like, going home, meaning, like, going back to, like, their hometown where they grew up um, in, like, a positive way. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just say, like, I'm going to go see my parents. They don't even live in the town that I grew up in anymore. But actually, I like that more because I hated the, uh, especially the one that I moved to when, like, in middle school. Uh, I just, like, hated that town. So I'm glad I never even have to go back there. Uh, but when people talk about, like, this positive feeling of going home, I feel like when I play Chrono Cross, it's, like, that similar feeling. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, comfortable and, like, familiar. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what we do here in the way that, like, um, I guess I sometimes have this if I go up to, to Marquette, Michigan, where I went to undergrad. Uh, it, it's been a while since I've gone, though, and I know it's probably changed a lot. Um but, like, there's a Thai place up there, and if I, like, go up there, I'm going to have the same feeling. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting having that feeling, but then also, like, my kid watching the game, uh, being excited about it and experiencing it the first time. So. That's um, adorable. Yeah. But, I mean, that's been part of it. Um, I guess I can run through some of the other stuff beyond movies that I've been doing. Yeah. So, so we have a couple movies to talk about. Yeah. Um, we watched we watched Devil in a Blue Dress two weeks ago, and that that is a it's a good movie. It's a yeah, very more slight than two movie. weeks ago at this point. <laughs> yeah, three weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. so it's like, like two and a half, three. So Devil in a Blue Dress is like a good movie, but it's it's kind of a it's kind of a light movie. Um, it's, it's like a a noir basically. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit. There's like it has its own tone, but I I would say in terms, like if I had to give it one movie genre, I'd say it's kind of a noir. Yeah. Um. And so there's just like a little bit of like a little mystery, a little crime, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but also like, you know, there's sort of a femme fatale. Uh. But like none of it is like it's existing in that noir space where occasionally there's just like an exceptional noir where you're like this is really doing interesting stuff. But a lot of noir just kind of goes down smooth. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it was more in that space. Do you uh, do you want me to tell you? I'm not, can I read you a list that I read on Coffee and Comic Books today? Um, I guess. So, I have not watched many movies the last yeah. three weeks. Like I, we've watched some stuff, and we'll get to it in a minute. Um, but my main thing has been reading comics. Here's a list of the comics that I've read. 
Okay. I read three volumes of Cyborg 009. I read two volumes of Uncanny X-Men. I read one volume of Dragon Ball. I read two of those big three-in-ones of uh, Inuyasha. I read um, some old, like, comic strips from the 50s of The Spirit. I read uh, volumes four, five, and six of Akira. That's, like, 1,200 pages. That's 1,400 pages. (laughs) Yeah. I read two big volumes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from IDW. I read that really bad vampire comic I was complaining to you about, Happiness, Volumes 1 and 2. Um, I read uh, Grip, which you gave to me, courtesy of Rick. Or or Rick gave to me, courtesy of you, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which, was, which was pretty good. Uh, I read two volumes of Usagi Ojimbo. I read one volume of... Um, Carl Barks Donald Duck. I read one volume of Don Rosa Donald Duck. I read one volume of Nana. I read one of those big volumes of Nausicaa. And then I also read Top Ten, the actual book we were reading for Coffee and Comic Books. Um, I just read a lot of comics, dude. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I didn't watch a ton of movies. But I've, I've been... <laughs> I haven't been, like, doing nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Not that I need to, like, defend myself on the podcast. It's just, like, weird. It's just, like, you know, normally, like, I show up here and I talk about, like, you know, a bunch of movies I watched. And, um, you know, all of that energy went into comics, basically. <laughs> yeah. I've been in, like, a similar weird space. Uh, I did read some comics. I think I read, like, it's it's hard now because I'm doing the, um, the like, hardbound uh what do they call them? Deluxe editions of Berserk. Mm-hmm. Um, and by getting them from the library. But I read like three or four volumes, I think, total. Oh, you're um, making you're making progress. Yeah. A lot of that was uh I read it when I was when I took my little mini vacation, which was just we went to see Emily's parents. Mm-hmm. Um I also read like uh two volumes, I think, of Blue Period. Um so I've been like uh, working through that a little bit as well. Uh, that's sort of been the thing of like, if I don't have, sometimes I'll take the saga that we're reading to work when I work in the office. Um, and I'll read that on my lunch. Um, but if I don't, then I've been taking in uh, blue period um, as a manga where there's a, a very low chance that there's randomly going to be tits on a page. It's just something <laughs> I have to think about more. Like there was a day where I was like, Oh, you know, I was like getting ready in the morning. So it was really early. And I was like, Oh, I could bring berserk. And re- mm, no, I'm not going to no. do that. No, <laughs> no I'm not going to no. read that at work. No. Um, I also started Berlin Alexander plots, the, the novel, um, I was hoping to make more progress of on it on uh, my trip um, to Emily's parents because I also did I took the train back because I had to work. Um, was it President's Day? Emily had off, so she stayed an extra day with uh, with her toddler. Uh, but I took the train back. But the train was actually really fast. I was like forty minutes early, uh, so that was nice. forty minutes of Berlin Alexander plots I didn't get to watch uh, or read because I also watched some some turn a so the big thing mm. i've been doing is like tv yeah, i've watched you so, got much through TV. so much turn a i know yeah so i'm just gonna like run through the list so 
on those servers right now, we are doing Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. Um, I'm currently 19 episodes into that, uh, which is just keeping pace with us recording. Uh, we're, we record three weeks ahead now rather than like two months was basically what it was previously. Um, and actually this one where we are uh, had to delay because I was sick a week. But um, so tomorrow I'm going to record the, the next uh, one that will come out in like two weeks. But uh, people can all listen to the, the episode that came out really recently. Uh, when you're listening to this, it was the previous Friday. Um, it covers episodes 7 through 13, and I'm really proud of that episode. ExporteOdd.io slash Ghost Divers. Yeah. Um, I'm also keeping pace watching uh, Aura Battler Dunbine and Sea Destiny, because I'm going to be on the finale episode for Sea Destiny for GGP. Uh, so I've, be- I've been keeping pace with those. Um, significantly worse. Sea Destiny is significantly worse than Iron Blooded Orphans. Um, or a Battler Dunbine, uh, probably equal, but in a different way. You know? Mm-hmm. Just early Tomino has like a, you just have to like grade it on a different scale, I feel like. Yeah. Um, it's just like doing different things and it's like exciting and interesting, but um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I've also been watching G Gundam. Um, I'm. How many episodes in the G Gundam now? Uh, 15 episodes could be a little bit further. Um, but instead of most of the anime time when I was at work, I had, I watched the entire first season of Haru Season Mia um, as the dub, uh, which is very funny because uh, Kion is the exact same voice actor doing the exact same voice as the dub Togusa from Ghost in the Shell standalone <laughs> complex, uh, which just like made me laugh constantly. Um, and then, yeah, I've watched a shit ton of turn. A. I have eight episodes left now. Um, so uh, that's like all the anime stuff I've been watching. I'm also watching Columbo along with totally reprise. So uh, I'm like, what, like six Columbo episodes in now. We need to. While we, we were need, gone, I was watching. We need to watch an episode or two of Turn A together, because like when you were getting back to doing Turn A, I was like, I will too, and then just like my heart wasn't in it in the same way because I'd taken the pause, and I feel like if you yeah. and me just watched one together and we're sort of talking about it, so I could just sort of like, you know, get grounded and like again, I think that would be a big help. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. Uh, I've also been watching the the prisoner, um, which I was thinking that I would jokingly reveal on this, but now I've revealed on uh, Longfire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am now eleven episodes in the prisoner, so I only have six episodes left of the prisoner. Um, Emily and I have been watching Poker Face. Uh, we've also been watching The Last of Us, but that one, what I, uh, the The Last of Us is such a like. I guess the thing I'll say about it is like, I watch it being like, who is this for? And I know who it's for. It's like all the TikTok videos where people didn't play the game and are watching it. And are like, Oh, this is such a great art or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thing, the whole like enterprise just kind of makes me roll my eyes. Um, there's been nothing that's like stood out to me as like, I played the games and I had some affection for it. And this hasn't done anything other than like continue to, do the same like we're remastering it in different ways to get different people to play the same goddamn right. game uh but now they're just watching it as a show um 
it's like basically just trying to get the audience so it didn't even watch a let's play. Uh, anyway, um, I also watched Sex House. <laughs> um, Big pardon. So uh, the Onion. Back in the day, there was a period oh, where like online video, yeah, where online video uh, got a lot of, like, just in general, people who could do online video got a lot of money to do it uh, in a way that's like is not true anymore. Uh, this is true across a lot of media companies, um, and it happened with the Onion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they produced this thing called Sex House. I rewatched it because. Uh, Alex swim fans fucking love sex house. And so I watched all the sex house with them, like back when we were in undergrad or yeah, undergrad. Um, I think that's probably when we watched through it and I hadn't seen it since. Um, and they did an, uh, swim fans episode on it. Um, and Alex still just like adores this, uh, you know, TV or like this, uh, online TV thing. Um, that's like movie length. Um, they argue that it's like a movie, um, and I watched it and I was like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is like weird to watch it just being like, this is like a thing that something like the onion was like given money to produce. Uh-huh. Um, and it is, it does go places. Like you, you start watching, you're like, oh yeah, this is just like a parody of, um, you know, reality TV at the time, like your big brother or whatever. And it like goes off in different directions, but, um, yeah. Uh, I think that I think that's it. I think that's everything I've been watching. There might be some other stuff that got thrown in there randomly, um, but yeah, well, it's just been a lot of TV. Can I tell you about the movies I've been watching? Yeah. So first on our docket, uh, I watched three Highlander movies. Um, you can go to exportodd.io slash franchise, and you can hear all of my thoughts about those three Fran- Highlander movies, but to give you the, the short version, Highlander 1, that's a pretty good movie. Highlander 2, that's a pretty good movie. Highlander 3, ooh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. Highlander 3 um, is bad, dude. I feel like the Highlander 3 part of my franchise... Uh, is more just you all talking about other bad movies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nora was so relieved that the podcast was an hour and only 30 minutes of it was actually talking about Highlander 3. She was having yeah. an unpleasant fucking time. Um, I mean, it's called The Sorcerer, and it's bad. Like, yeah. you, you call something The Sorcerer, and then it's going to be bad? Yeah. Come on. That's, that's a recipe for Nora hatred. Yeah. Uh, as far as stairs go, I feel like Highlander one should get an A plus or an S, but it's been a month since I watched that movie, so I can't really be sure, honestly. Jesus. <laughs> uh, same deal with the Quickening. I feel like the Quickening Highlander two had pretty good stairs in it somewhere, but I, I, it's been a while, you know. Yeah. Um. Do you want to go ahead and tell me about the French Dispatch? Yeah, so I actually watched this today. Um, I I was, you know, last month, I guess, at this point. Um, I did the, oh, I should, like, catch up on all of the Wes Anderson movies that I haven't seen. I'll start by rewatching The Life Aquatic. Um, and then I watched The Isle of Dog and then French Dispatch. Yeah, I should watch all the Wes Anderson movies I haven't seen. 
two of them. Yes. <laughs> you watched the one you liked, and then you watched two movies you hadn't seen. Yeah. You made it sound like such a big project, and I'm like, it's really not. Well... So the part that's just, like, funny about it is that I watched Isle of Dogs on the 5th of February, and then the 3rd of March, I watched The French Dispatch. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) That's the thing, is that, like, it took a lot of time, despite not being a big project. (laughs) You know what? Um, You know what? The next movie I'm going to talk about, same deal. I'll get to it in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, um... Yeah, I mean, part of it was I watched The Isle of Dogs, and I was just like, mm, I'm not excited about watching Fres- <laughs> Wes Anderson movies right now. Yeah, you um, know what? Fair. <laughs> yeah, and then I did start up The French Dispatch, and it does just immediately start with uh, Indian Paintbrush Presents an American Empirical Picture or whatever. And oh, I was God. like, oh, boy. <laughs> the French <laughs> Dispatch. And I was like, this is so fucking white. Um <laughs> Despite having like a, a number of uh, people of color in this movie, this movie is astonishingly white, uh, <laughs> painfully white at points. Um, I enjoyed that, it. That but, one guy uh, is like the best part of the movie. Uh, yeah, towards the end, like what's the third his name. The third story was my favorite story. The the cooking one. Yeah. So you're t- yeah. Yeah. Um. Let me let me pull this up. Yeah, I'm um, trying to get the cast here. It's such a huge cast. I watched it today, and I do not remember most of the cast. <laughs> um. Well, okay. So, uh, Jeffrey Wright. Um. Yes. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright is the best part of the movie by far. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that that segment I think is the most interesting. Like the the little um point at the end works really well. Um, but that section that section is the best section. But also the little like Hergé looking um, animated bit in that section, I think, is terrible. Oh yeah, the um, the little like I, there's no other way to describe it than like Hergé pastiche, and it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that part's not great. Um, but like the like really the thing is the the basic like story is okay. Um. I think that the the little thing at the end with the conversation between um, uh, Bill Murray mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, that part is the best part. Yeah, um, I think they do a good job of selling the frame story, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's also great because it's kind of this inversion where, like, a lot of the other... Um, you you'll kind of because the whole premise of it is uh, Bill Murray's character who I don't uh, Arthur Howitzer Jr. Uh, he was the editor for this magazine that's like basically a European New Yorker. Um, mm-hmm. It is really like especially you see the covers at the end and it's just like full New Yorker pastiche. Yeah. Um, and the editor passes away and it's like the big final farewell issue. Um, because it's immediately getting suspended. Uh, they decide to, um, publish some article, like republish some articles, um, mm. along with an ar- obituary. And then the, the movie is like three of the articles, basically. Um, there's like me, I guess there's the cycling reporter. Is that supposed to be an article? I, d- I don't know this. the, the cycling reporter. So, so my memory of watching, um, uh, French dispatch is heavily marked by like, 
I, I turned it on and I was like, okay. And it was a normal movie. And then like right as the edible was hitting, the cycling reporter bit happens where Owen Wilson sort of rambles at the camera for a minute. And I didn't know this was an anthology movie. So I'm like, what am I looking at right now? Yeah. <laughs> like trying to understand like what was happening cinematically. <laughs> um, and then you get into like the actual like meat of the movie, and I'm like, oh, yeah. it's an anthology. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The the three main stories are uh, so it's called the Concrete Masterpiece, uh, which is about this like uh, tortured artist in prison, um, uh, revisions to a manifesto, uh, and then the private dining room of the police commissioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially one of the other things too with uh, when I got to the private dining room with the police commissioner is that it was kind of breaking this thing that I noticed with the first two um, and I so the first two parts I was watching this and I was like I don't know if Wes Anderson knows that this is what he, he's doing but he is like currently making a really scathing critique of the way that like uh, revolutionary films were made in the past and now just like become a class thing where people have watched the old movies and like don't take any of the revolutionary part out of it. They just take huh, this yeah. like I yeah. am I am watching like classic cinema and yeah. this makes me like a better person. Uh this makes me like a more educated, a more well off person sometimes. Um mm-hmm. but I think like I don't know if Wes Anderson's doing that intentionally. Or he just has the affection for the aesthetics of these things. Because so much of it is... The part that I thought was really exceptional about it is that so often it is like very distinctly still Wes Anderson in his style. Mm. Um, and yet more so than I think any other movie that I've watched from him, I can like see him homaging and like uh emphasizing the things that have influenced him and like the other kinds of cinema that he is like that he loves and that he's like doing pastiches of or homages to in this um mm. in this film um like revisions to a manifesto is just like um seeped in like that certain kind of uh like french italian uh, you know, young revolutionary movie. Uh-huh. Um, in a way that like the concrete masterpiece was pulling this a little bit. When I was watching the concrete masterpiece one, I was thinking a lot about um I think it's Love and Anarchy is the name of it. Uh it's part of that there's like the the set The Eros and Massacre. Yeah, Eros and Massacre. Um I forget which is the the name of the film and which is the um I think Eros and Massacre is the name of the box set, and Love and Anarchy yeah. is the name of the first film in the set. Yeah. Um, I'll be goddamned if I know the names of the other two. Oh, no, it was the other way around. Eros and Massacre is the film. Damn uh, it. So, so Eros and Massacre being this, like, film about um, this anarchist and, like, this uh, militant feminist, uh, but also, like, having these moments of, like, poetry and art and, you know... Uh, the like relationship that exists between them. Um, it, I watched the theatrical cut at some point. I watched the director's cut of it. Um, but like the concrete masterpiece made me think of that film in a lot of ways. Uh, but also that like Eros and Massacre actually cares about like the the um what are the like ideologies of this pe- these people in a way that just like no fres- uh, Wes Anderson movie ever does. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched revisions to a manifesto and like, uh, it becomes a joke how much like anytime the actual manifesto comes up, they just like have narration speak over people reading it and things so that you like never get when any of these people actually think or care about, right. uh, just like fully, uh, its view of it is fully just that like youth wants to have a revolution and it doesn't really matter what it's about. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think you, you can be kind of cynical about, but, um, and yeah, then I just, I thought that like a lot of the base story for the, the private dining room and the police commissioner, um, was, wasn't that great, but then there, at the end, there's this whole, uh, exchange that happens, um, where uh bill murray is like oh what's this part that you cut uh and it's this thing about so the the whole plot of that one is like um basically this kid is kidnapped and then is saved by the chef who uh cooks for the police basically uh but then goes over to like cook a meal for the kidnappers um they like have this offer to come over uh and poisons the food and they would obviously are suspecting this so they make him eat it uh before they eat it and so he eats some but he's just like uh such a gourmand who's been like eating all these different kinds of food that he doesn't mm-hmm. die from it and mm-hmm. everyone else does mm-hmm. um and he recovers um but then the part that he was like it's just too sad i had to cut it from the story and that Bill Murray's character says, like, put it back in. Um, this is the whole thing that actually matters is at the end, him being like, there was a unique flavor that I never tasted before to the poison. Uh, and like, I don't know how to get back to that flavor. <laughs> and now it's just <laughs> going to like haunt me. And I was like, yeah, that is that the actual whole point of telling the story is to have yeah. that bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was great too, because it, it felt like every other piece of advice that, um, that like, he was giving was a little bit more empty. And then this one like felt actually pointed and, and really uh, spot on. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, and then I, the, the Jeffrey Wright character is the one who's actually writing the obituary at the end, which is maybe yeah. like a little bit of like, yeah, we know this was the best writer of the bunch, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I enjoyed it as like, oh, you don't often get like a, a kind of funny uh, parody movie about like these really arty films that like has this deep love of it, too. Sometimes you'll get the parodies that's kind of just like doesn't actually care about like art film in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like Wes Anderson deeply cares about it, but is also doing like sort of a funny parody thing of it. Um, and it worked really well for me on that that end. Um but, like, I didn't get, like, any real grand moving stuff out of it. I just thought it was, like, entertaining and, uh, you know, it was it was fun to see this kind of parody because I feel like you don't see it often. So. Um, How are the stairs? Uh, so I think you rated it an ass. I did an A+. Plus. I, that I sounds think appropriate. The, the stairs looked really, really, really good. I think they just could have been a little bit more like thematically charged. Uh, but yeah. there was like a fantastic stairwell scene uh, of the chef like going up to the to where the right. uh, kidnappers were. Yeah, um, yeah, that is good. Yeah. I he's, stand like, by carrying my ass. the ingredients. I stand by my ass. <laughs> I mean, it's a great fucking looking shot. I just I wanted a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, I just need like a little extra to push it to the to the ass for me. That's so. fair. Um, um. Well, 
Speaking of movies with S-ranked stairs, and speaking of, I was going to watch all the movies from this director I haven't seen. It's only two movies, and it's taken me a month to do it. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even uh, watch the other one. <laughs> so I, I... We were going to record, like, three weeks ago on a Sunday. And on Saturday, I watched Us by Jordan Peele, 2019. And I was like, this no. is great. I think I'll we were going to record on the Friday because I was, or was this the other Whatever. one that got postponed? Whatever. I don't really, what I remember is it was the day before we were going to record and yeah. I watched us and I was like, this is perfect. I'll show up. I'll talk about us. We'll record tomorrow and then I'll watch Nope next week and then I'll be caught up on the Jordan Peele movies. And then we didn't record. um us is a really good movie um for for people who somehow don't know i don't know how you i don't know how you ended up at this podcast and don't know what us is um but it is um directed by jordan peele it is the follow-up to get out uh stars lupita nyong'o um as the mother um to um she's she's like a she's a mother she's married to um this like goofy guy dad uh they they all live in um like san francisco i think maybe and they make a shit ton of money um and uh they've got two kids and they seem happy uh and they're going on this um vacation to um that's around the same place that she had this traumatic thing happen to her as a kid um and so it's like this, it's this, it starts as kind of interesting little spooky movie about like, um, you know, oh, I'm back in this place where this childhood trauma happened to me. What's, you know, what's going to happen? Yeah. And what happens is <laughs> that um, everybody's evil twin shows up from the underworld uh and, and and starts killing everybody um and when you when you hear me say everybody you think i mean you know lupita nyong'o and winston duke and their two children no i mean everybody yeah <laughs> i mean tim heidecker and his shitty wife and their awful children too i mean <laughs> i mean uh, everybody <laughs> yeah um, it's like uh i mean they're they are doing uh some heavy lifting in terms of killing but there is like a a nationwide revolution of underground people happening yes uh and so gradually it is revealed that the and i basically i guessed like 87 percent of this like in the first scene because the very first scene is um lupita nyong'o's character as a child um goes into this house of mirrors and sees this one reflection that turns around and smiles at her and then like cut to black. We don't know what happens next. And when that happened, cause I knew there was evil twins. I was like, Oh, I bet that's the evil twin. I bet she's going to switch with this character. And Lupita Nyong'o uh, is actually the, the, like the Lupita Nyong'o, who is the protagonist, was actually the one who was born underground, and the one who was born above ground will be below ground. 
uh, and is going to come back for revenge. And I was right. Like, it's a yeah. It it's pretty obvious. Um, I never guess twists to movies. Uh, so the fact that I got there was like, this this is an obvious movie. Uh, the thing that none of that matters because it's just it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Like like so I I kind of because of Get Out I sort of came in ready to like read a lot of meaning into like every little detail of this movie and sort of what I got from this movie. I, I, I tried to like follow what this movie was giving me, which was there's, there's stuff, you know, there is a, a revolution of the underground people against their above ground oppressors. So the, it, there's stuff there, but the main yeah. thing is it's a lot of fun, <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. gory, it's goofy, um, it's violent as all get out, you know, like it's, it's just a lot of fun. No puns, just, no pun intended. I'm just laughing at the pun. Yeah. <laughs> no nope, uh, pun intended. I found it was, I found it was a, a little gorier than get out. Honestly. Yeah. I definitely think it's, I think it's a much gorier movie than get out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, stupid. I'm being stupid. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, um, I'm just doing goofs over here. <clears throat> anyway, I know that someone does an Akira bike slide in Nope, so I really just want to watch Nope, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the context of that is. I was listening to War Rock and Ajax, and somebody told me that somebody... Someone on that podcast is like, yeah, there's an Akira bike slide in Nope, and I'm like, well, I guess I gotta watch Nope now. <laughs> yeah. I do love Akira bike slides. <laughs> um... Yeah, I think I said this previously, but like, uh, I enjoyed us. Uh, it's in the mold of like, there's just like a a ton of uh, horror movies that are are kind of vaguely uh, slashery, have a little bit of thematic material in it, and it's like a a fun one of those. Um, but also, it seems like a mode that kind of still exists to some degree. Not quite mm-hmm. as much as it used to, but does still to some degree exist. Uh, part of what was so like incredible about Nope is being like, uh, Spielberg isn't making this movie anymore. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, um, like this sort of just like blockbuster doesn't exist. Uh, so yeah, that's the fun of Nope, I think. I, I, I think Jordan Peele has talked a lot about um, like, in his mind, he's just making John Carpenter movies. You know, yeah, and and it really comes through in us. I feel like it. It really yeah. feels like us is just like because like we've talked about. You watch a John Carpenter movie, and there's like, oh yeah, there's like you know, social problem of the day is sort of like you know the thing and the Cold War. You can sort of read that, but it doesn't go like that deep. You know, it's just yeah. kind of like a, a texture to the violence, basically. Um, which I think is great, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need, I don't need, uh, us or, you know, the thing or whatever to, to, to provide all, you know, this rich social commentary. I like it when horror movies do that, but I don't need it, you know? Yeah. So. Um, and then S for stairs, there's an incredible scene where she goes back to the fun house and then she like goes down like all the stairs into, um, 
the 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 underground people place it's really good uh yeah fantastic the the delineation of space by stairs is like crucial to the movie yes absolutely because those aren't even the only stairs because there's also yeah. like the stairs their summer home doesn't have stairs but the the white family that um winston duke is like always competitive with tim heidecker's family that's stair- like all stairs it's all <laughs> stairs um yeah and it feels very showy and ostentatious and not very homey in the way that like their summer home feels so yeah yeah um it's it's just a good movie yeah um and then um next thing on the list uh when we were in dallas uh with uh nora's friends um we just watched captain and dr caligari i'm not really sure what possessed devin to pick that movie but i'm glad he did <laughs> I was, we were like oh yeah let's watch a movie and he was like do you want to watch this 1920s silent movie and nora and i were like yeah sure <laughs> i mean we, it is we, a banger it is a banger we had a great time i think next time i'm gonna be like can we watch like face off or something <laughs> yeah but you know captain captain of dr caligari real good movie it is a different um, uh vibe i mean if we if I know how we watch movies, you and me. I don't know about how uh This was you know, that Nora's was sort friends. of the temperature, you know, we were all okay. talking. It, yeah. If it was if it was a movie with, you know, sound, I think it probably would have been a quieter like ooh ah if there was like a big action scene. But I don't think we would have been chit chatty, but because it was a silent movie, we were all just kinda like yammering through the whole thing, you know. Yeah. Um uh. so we we had fun. It's just like it's just a very funny, not the movie I would have picked, but uh, Devin, we love you, um, and we had a great time. Do not misinterpret me saying it was an odd pick as me saying we did not have fun. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Devin listens to this, but you know. Yeah. Um, hey, you watched The Girl from Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so I, this is like going way back into the, the, um, you know, the previous episode, uh, barely remember this. <laughs> At some point I talked about how I put on like two other movies and I just wasn't feeling them. And I think I then put on Isle of Dogs, mm-hmm. um, which was not a good movie, but was just more in the vein of like what I wanted to just let my, let sink into my brain. Um, and so, uh, one of them was the girl from Chicago. Uh, this was part of the the Criterion uh, Oscar Michaud. I think mm. I'm, I don't actually know how to. Yeah, it, it's Michaud. It. Yeah, Michaud. Um, I what? Um, one of the classes I took with uh, Kevin Wilma, he was showing us a bunch of um, Michaud movies. So okay. Um, yeah, and I I enjoyed this movie. Um, it was. One, it's, like, been a, a while ago, so I'm trying to, like, remember what stood out to me from this movie, because um, a lot of the plot... I mean, the plot was fairly light. Um, if people aren't familiar, uh, Oscar Michaud was, uh, like, pre-code uh, film director who did a lot of uh, movies with, a, like, all African-American cast. Um, and... Because and he's of, also he was also a, an incredible actor and singer in his own right. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the cast was, was all black, uh, obviously these are lower budget movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that like, you know, even compared to other movies from like the, the, you know, twenties and, uh, thirties. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, th- this is one of the, the films and the, the, like the basic plot line was kind of just in a way that's like not uncommon for uh earlier films especially like silent film stuff uh this one does have um dialogue but a lot of it is uh you know it seemed like they maybe didn't fully have the like same equipment to get really good sound so even though i think this is a little bit more into like uh sound film i feel like it is plagued with more of the issues that like really early sound films have. Um, and I think that's probably just down to like budget constraints and, uh, also probably the amount of like expertise they were allowed to have from, from people who were able to, uh, experiment with the stuff early on. Um, but yeah, the basic plot was kind of this, um, it's like a, uh, I think he's like a member of the FBI or something, um, who is investigating a, uh, like racketeer and becomes involved in the, uh, the assassination, uh, accidentally, uh, and falls in love with like the woman who's accidentally involved in this assassination. Um, and so, uh, you know, and then sort of helps her get out of that situation. It's like mostly a thing for, for, uh, having sort of a fun action movie with lots of cutaways to musical performances, or it'll be like, they're in the space and then someone's just like on the piano playing and then you get like a musical number. Um, there's a lot of like showcasing of, of music throughout this film. Um, I think the biggest thing that I remember standing out to me, um, is not that I don't think like anybody else did this previously, but, uh, it really struck me how much any time that there is uh, like a moment of violence, like they pull the trigger on a gun, um, it will cut to a completely different scene uh, and then cut back. Like it'll cut to somebody in a completely different space. Um, just going about like what their daily life is for a few seconds. And then it cuts back to after the gun's been pulled. Um, and I thought that was just like a, uh, it was interesting the way that it was like jarring. And I think it was also like juxtaposing the, the violence happening here with like something more, uh, banal and mundane. Um, but yeah, otherwise like not a lot of it stood out to me. Um, it's one of those where, uh, you're kind of sometimes looking through some of the, the technical issues to like find, things that are really interesting. There's definitely some cool stuff in here. Um, but it was also one where this is why when I put it on that night, I was like, mm, I don't want to have to like sift through, like, I don't have to like be engaged in finding the interesting stuff. And then like, uh, processing, like just hard to hear audio. Um, mm-hmm. cause I don't even think that I don't remember if, uh, criterion had subtitles for this. Um, I feel like for some reason they didn't or something. It's been Weird. so long ago. Um, but yeah, I did give it an A plus for stairs because um, for how much this like movie was like felt very like they're on little sets, like small sets. Uh, I was really not expecting any sort of like big stair thing to ca- happen. Um, 
And then there's this part where he's seeing the the woman who he's falling in love with. Uh, and she's like on the top of the stairs, like coming down uh, And It was like one of the best shots in the, the movie. So I gave it an A plus. Um, but um, yeah, I specifically just picked this one because it was Chicago and, you know, I want to um, live <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick correction on something I said. Um, the the so the the Oscar Michaud movie that I have seen um starred Paul Robeson, who is an incredible actor and singer. And at some yeah. point in the last five years, I just mixed those two I, I in my head totally. I because I was like looking at Oscar Michaud's Wikipedia, I was like, it doesn't look like he was an actor or a singer on this page. Let me just <laughs> I just like those two people became one people in my head. That's my bad. So I just wanted to correct yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there, it was one of those, I watched it and then I was like, I'd be interested in checking out more of these, but also I would love to have somebody who's like seen more of them be like, mm. Oh, here's like the one or two to like really check out. Um, so to, to my knowledge, body and soul is like the one to check out, but like that is the one I've seen. So, you yeah. know, um, um, but uh, yeah, in terms of in terms of like the plot, nothing really stood out to me. But there's some, uh, I thought there there's some like interesting editing stuff in particular that I found really cool, um, and that I wish like more stuff pulled from. So, uh-huh. um, yeah. Um, my next movie is I watched um, Big Brown Eyes, uh, starring Cary Grant and Joan Bennett. Uh, Cary Grant is a detective and Joan Bennett is a news reporter and they're dating and they solve a crime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, F for stairs. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. It's like a four star movie, but there's really nothing to it. It's the most like, yeah. It is it is a very like disposable movie. <laughs> yeah. Um <clears throat> Next movie on my list, far less disposable. I watched A Matter of Life and Death, um, directed by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressenberger. Pressburger. I don't know why I, I always say Pressenberger for some reason. Um I spell it that way. I don't I spell it that way too, and I cannot figure out why. Anyway, um, this is a 1946 film, and you can feel it. <laughs> um, if you can believe it. <laughs> oh, I think I also watched an episode of Twin Peaks somewhere in there. At, at yeah, least we, one. Both, we both watched one episode of Twin Peaks, I think. It was a while ago. I don't remember it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think we we finished. I remember now. We finished... Um, devil in a blue dress and we're like hey let's put on a twin peaks yeah and i'll be god i barely remember devil in a blue dress i certainly don't remember the <laughs> twin peaks we watched <laughs> um uh so a matter of life and death um it is a very cute uh romantic movie kind of from the same vein as like a casablanca um where this guy, um, I should look up. I should look up his name. I should look up his name real quick. 
either the actors or the characters. Doesn't matter. I just need something to call him. <laughs> um, David Niven as Peter David Carter. <clears throat> um, David Niven is a pilot in World War II, and his plane is shot down, and he the movie starts, and he's on the radio with this um, American girl um, who's... He's like... He just bombed some German city and he's flying back to London and his he, his plane took a shell uh, and he's on the radio with this girl and he's like, I don't have a parachute. I'm going to have to jump. Uh, you know, tell my mother I love her. Um, and he's so dead, super dead. <clears throat> and he jumps out of the plane with no parachute and he washes up on the shores of England and he's he's alive somehow. And he finds June, this girl, this American girl he was talking to on the radio, and he falls in love with her. And then we we fade to black and white as we see the the realm of the angels. See in the in the the living world, it's all technicolor, but when you see the angels, they're all in black and white. <laughs> um, and this faggy French guy was supposed he was on duty that night basically but there was a a big fog rolled in all over england and he couldn't find uh david niven's character to to bring him to the afterlife and so like david niven just escaped escaped death uh, and now this faggy frenchman has to um bring him in basically um and so the faggy french guy um is talking to to Niven and he's like I need you to die now and Niven is like but I've fallen in love with a girl and shouldn't love conquer death and faggy french guy is like well I am a romantic so I'll see what my superiors say about this <clears throat> um and then Niven gets caught up with this like neurologist who's like you're having hallucinations of faggy frenchmen <laughs> we need to get you a uh, surgery so you know um <clears throat> Uh, you can recover, but also the neurologist kind of believes uh, Niven's story about um, the 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 French guy, and he was supposed to die, but he didn't. Um, and so he's trying to help him. And basically, there's a there's a trial at the end of the movie about if this guy should live or not. And thank God, his doctor uh, Frank uh, dies. <laughs> And because he dies, like, right before the trial, he's able to be the lawyer for Niven's character because he died. (laughs) It's a really absurd twist uh, (laughs) that I was just like, well, obviously the doctor has to be his um, lawyer. I I wonder how they're going to get there. They killed him. (laughs) This is the the weirdest uh, episode of the prisoner that I've ever I've ever heard described. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and so then it takes a really and I'm like, okay, here we go. Um the there's going to be a big trial about if this guy should live and if the power of love should conquer all. Let's go. This is what we've been setting up the whole movie. And then the opposing lawyer comes out and he was a he was the first american who died in the revolution and so his whole problem is not that this guy 
basically he's like, I don't think this guy should be allowed to live because British men shouldn't be allowed to fuck American women. And the whole thing becomes about how America hates England, but we all just need to learn to get along. <laughs> and like, there's an insane scene where like the jury is like, there's a French guy and the, the uh, American revolution dude is like, and how many times have you been to, to war with, um, England and it's like well, we're always at war with England and the jurist hates England and then it's like there's a Russian guy and he also hates England because of you know England's sordid history with uh <laughs> um whatever and then there's like an Italian guy and a and a it's it's absurd it's totally absurd there's a guy from Hong Kong and a guy from India look at all these places you've colonized Britain, you're so evil. Uh, you shouldn't let this British man fuck this American woman, <laughs> and so we can't let him come back to life. <laughs> and then the the doctor lawyer is like, I want a new jury. And he gets, like, basically, like, the same, like, ethnic groups of people. So now it's, like, a Russian immigrant to America and a, like, you know, Indian immigrant to England and, you know... Oh look, these brave people are like breaking down the borders between our societies and ro like <laughs> eroding the old hatreds and it's fucking insane. <laughs> Can't believe they made a sequel to the Banshees of Inisherin. <laughs> um and also God is there. God is presiding over the trial. <laughs> Um, but the, the 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 movie ends with there's a scene earlier where um the faggy French guy was trying to to trick David Niven into coming up to heaven, and what he does is they're sitting on this gigantic stairway that's slowly moving upward, uh, and David Niven doesn't notice it at first, uh, and they're like going past like there's a statue of Caesar, and he's like. Should I have Caesar be my lawyer? No. Should I have Plato be my lawyer? Perhaps Muhammad or Jesus. And he's thinking about all the people who could be his lawyer, but none of them would understand our problems of today. I've and seen this movie before. <laughs> You've seen it? I didn't realize that I've seen this movie before, but you're describing the scene and I've seen this movie before. <laughs> So then you know that at the, the end of the trial, there's also, so he's getting brain surgery, and God yeah. and the jury and the lawyers all take that, like, stairway down past Jesus and Muhammad and Plato, and they're, like, looking over him, getting brain surgery, and he, yes. like, steps up out of his body and defends his case, and they're like, the only way is that you must prove she truly loves you. And they're like, we <laughs> we have to take her. Like, if you must live, she has to die. And she bravely gets on the um, uh, thing. And she she agrees to die for him. And that proves their love. And God is like, well, that proves their love. He can live. <laughs> and And the American guy is like, 
Well, he seems like a pretty stand-up English man. I guess if anybody has to fuck an American woman, I guess I can be okay with this one. <laughs> it's just fucking ridiculous in every way. It's the yeah. silliest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> I've seen this movie. Yeah. I remember that ending. <laughs> I didn't remember like any of the other shit you were talking about, but I remembered that ending. <laughs> you just started describing the stairs and I could just see them in my head. Uh-huh. The stairs are the iconic part of this movie. Yeah. To the point with when this movie came out in the US, it was called Stairway to Heaven. <clears throat> yeah. That may have been what I saw it as. Yeah. Um so it's like it's like a pretty good movie. It's like a pretty good movie, and then the trial really lost me when it was all about like uh, you can't let uh, this guy fuck our American women, and then it really got me back <laughs> at the very end. You know. Yeah. So, um, it's pretty solid. <laughs> it's no Black Narcissus. Also, yeah. one of the act two of the actresses from Black Narcissus have like minor roles in this movie, and I was just like pointing at the screen the whole time, like those are those nuns. They hate each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, S for stairs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, through through like the. The decades since I probably saw this movie. I remember these stairs. Fucking S stairs. Yeah, dog. <laughs> um, Tell me about Losing Ground. Um, so, Losing Ground. This, this is a movie that uh, I wish that we had recorded closer to when I watched it. So I would remember more details from it. Um, but I watched this one. Um, it was also on the Criterion Collection. It still probably is on there i don't know um mm -hmm. it's been a while um and then you know to do this like uh one of the first um feature films that were was directed by a black woman um i looked into it a little bit more because i saw some like competing stuff i was trying to figure out the actual full story um so uh the the movie came out in 1982. Um, the same director, Kathleen Collins, had previously done a feature-length film uh, called The Cruise Brothers and Miss Malloy. Um, and I haven't found a lot of information on that, that other one, but this one um, was sort of designed to have large-scale distribution, um, mm -hmm. but was never given it at the time in 1982. It was shown in some theaters, uh, especially like more art house theaters or like film festival kind of stuff um, in like 82 and 83. Um, and then was kind of just like forgotten to time. Um, there was never any home release or anything like that. Uh, you know, didn't really get like repertory screenings and things um, until, so she died in 1988 tragically of cancer. Um, it was sort of a, a, seems like it was a like pretty sudden and unexpected death overall. Um and then since then, um, her daughter in uh, the 2000s started sifting through just like the archive that her mother had made of her, her work, including some stuff that was published, um, some stuff that, uh, you know, was never published, some stuff that like maybe got very limited distribution. Um, and so, 
you know, it includes like short stories, books, things like that. And she's been trying to uh, get more distribution stuff for it. Um, so Losing Ground in 2015 was restored and reissued, um, had the theatrical release at the Film uh, Society of Lincoln Center, um, and then, uh, you know, got praise that's come out on like DVDs, Blu-rays, um, you know, on the Criterion Collection uh, or Criterion Channel, stuff like that. Um, so, and like is now considered being like a film that probably paved the way for something like daughters of the dust to get that wider distribution. Um, so all of that stuff, just like general context behind this. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I started it, um, that night instead of, you know, I, I was like, eh, Especially at the very beginning, I was like, there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, the acting feels a little, like, stilted. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just, like, not vibing with it in a way that I want for, like, I'm watching something kind of late at night and I'm just going to go to bed after. Um, and so that's when I put on Isle of Dogs. Uh, well, first I put on the the girl from Chicago and I was like, this is even less. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is, like, even harder to, to just vibe with in this moment. Um but uh, then I put it on, uh, watched it again from the beginning um, later on. And in like seeing the full thing, I think a little bit of the stiltedness of the acting, especially from the, the main character, was intentional because um, so like the, the basic plot of it is that she is this philosophy teacher. Um, she's like teaching courses on logic. Uh, she has a lot of interest in... Um, I would say like the, the classics that are, you know, primarily overwhelmingly, uh, old white men. Um, you know, you've got like, she's like working on something related to Kant and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's married to, uh, this painter, um, who is like very free and loose and, um, you know, seems to be like more involved in like the, the black art scene and things like that. Um, and, uh, they end up deciding to rent a a house for the summer, like basically a summer house, uh, because he wants to, to go someplace new, uh, see new places, see new people and sort of, uh, have this summer where he's doing a lot of painting. Um, and she is kind of annoyed at this because uh, she wanted to just stay in the city and keep working on the paper that she's researching. Um, and so this like decision, like they do rent the house, um, but there's like they're spending more time apart because uh, she's often going back to the city so she can be at like the libraries because the the little tiny library um, where the summer house is doesn't have like the kind of stuff that she wants uh, to have oh, wow. access to. Um, and it's like emphasizing the strains that already existed in their marriage. Um, and he finds this muse, um, this Puerto Rican woman. Um, I'm, I'm looking up names here. So the main character is Sarah. Um, the, her like painter husband is Victor. Um, and then the, the woman who sort of becomes his like muse for right now is Celia, um, who he ends up, uh, sort of having a, an affair with as this goes on. Um, and, uh, 
you know, she's a professor. She has this uh, student who's a, a filmmaker, but is taking a philosophy course um, and asked her to, to be in his film. Um, and so she decides as like, this stuff is like escalating to, to do that so that she's like doing something else. That's not just like steeped in the philosophy. Um, she like wants to put some of this, the philosophy that she's been working on into practice. Um, and I think that's like part of why she makes the step into, to, uh, being in the student film. Um, mm-hmm. and then the way that stuff concludes, uh, is like really exceptional. Uh, but especially like as she begins to decide, like, I want to be a part of this film, uh, the, the acting of like the actor playing the character, the acting becomes so much better. And so I think all of the, like, "Mm, this acting feels stilted was like very intentional for giving an arc to this character, just even represented by how the acting is like executed on screen that when she is sort of this philosophy professor, like everything feels stilted. Um, and when she starts like trying to find other things, uh, she starts taking, uh, like partaking in the film. That's when like, Oh, this is actually a really good actress. And she was like intentionally being stilted. Um, which is the thing that's sometimes hard to gauge when you're watching something that's, uh, not that this is like super low budget, but is obviously you know, not the, the, uh, highest budget. Not everybody here is like well-known actors and actresses. Um, although there's still some, some like notable names here. Uh, Sarah is played by, uh, threat Scott who, um, went on to like do some stuff for television. I think, I think that's mostly what she did later mm-hmm. on. Um, but like the, the big one is, um, there's sort of a minor character, but he's played by Dwayne Jones, um, who's the, the main character in Night of the Living Dead. Um, oh shit. So he shows up in this, uh, this is like, I didn't realize it at first. I was like, I feel like I know who this guy is, but I just like, can't tell on, uh, I looked it up and I found out that it was, uh, Ben from Night of the Living Dead. And I was like, oh, holy shit. I didn't recognize him. Cause it's been like you know 15 years or whatever uh he's older now (laughs) um but he's great in it um yeah i ended up uh really enjoying this film um i I think it's like well worth checking out uh and if you're if you're feeling like if you're not quite getting into it at the beginning I, i think it's worth sticking through i think there's like some intentional uh having things feel a little bit stilted uh mm-hmm. to to like intensify the change that's happening across this um and yeah some of the stuff at the ending was just uh exceptional um yeah when i got to the ending i was like oh th- this movie's fucking great <laughs> um so uh, yeah high, it highly recommend good. it was good um it, it was also just uh because there aren't a lot of films from this period that are like specifically coming from like a, a black voice um like director and everything uh especially like a, a black woman um there are some stuff too that was just like uh it was like surprise it seeing it in a future film was like you just don't see future films that have this voice from the 80s and right. so there's like this uh it, yeah, that was part of what was so, uh, like, exciting watching it, too, um, is because it 
so many other films that I associate are coming more like in the nineties. Um, so yeah, it has a little bit of like a seventies movie. I mean, it's early eighties, so it has like a seventies movie vibe sometimes. Um, but, oh, and, uh, I was putting in stare rankings as I was watching these movies and I gave this one an A and I don't remember why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like there was a really great stairwell scene somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I remember the one from the the girl from Chicago because it was like my favorite shot in the whole movie. This one, um, I think my favorite shot is like uh, at a pool. So, uh, oh, the shot at the end—that's probably my favorite shot. Neither of these are stairs, though. <laughs> so, um, gave it an A, though. I'll trust past me. <laughs> um, how about? I go refill my water, and then we talk about Devil in a Blue Dress. Okay. I I will go to the bathroom just to, to go. All right. BRB. Okay. struggling to to really make my point there but it's fine it's I too think long ago yeah <laughs> it was it was a really good moment when you remembered that you watched that movie because of the stairs <laughs> <laughs> you just started describing the stairs and i was like holy fuck i've seen the stairs <laughs> <laughs> It's also funny because you didn't remember the part about it being um, 
black and white in the angels and color in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Which I I expected I was like, oh, this was, you know, this is the iconic part of this movie. <clears throat> is yeah. that it did Wings of Desire 40 years early. Well, and the stairs have, if I recall correctly, like when they're going up, like like when they're up on the stairs with the statues, that's mm. black and white. Mm-hmm. But then, like, when they're going down to, like, the doctor, that's color, right? So you get, like, yeah. shots of the stairs where it's, like, kind of a golden yellow, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, a very wide escalator, almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's, like, looks, it's meant to look like stone steps, but they do kind of, like, move sometimes, right? Yeah. 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 Um, And then I feel like there's, like, a part where you're, like, going up and, like, is there a part where you see, like, towards the beginning of going up, where it's, like, a, from the side, and you see the, like, yellow-gold stairs and, like, blue, like, space in the background? Yeah. Yeah. And then, it, like, as you go up, there's, like, a part where uh, you have, like, maybe a little bit of color still, but then, like, the stairs are becoming black and white. Mm-hmm. And then they're, like, sitting on the stairs. It's really funny. It's really funny that you can vividly describe the <laughs> stairs in this movie you saw 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And but all if the, you like, ask either of us about the stairs in, like, RoboCop, uh, yeah. you know, RoboCop, bad example. Um, like, um, ask me about the stairs in, like, you know, fucking Titanic? Uh, no, another bad no. example. Damn, yeah. damn. I'm trying to pull up. The recent first movies. one that I thought of was, was Pale Flower, and I was like, "No, I can, I can tell you those stairs." <laughs> um, we're we're really good at describing stairs. Apparently, long goodbye. <laughs> I I finally, I think there were stairs in that movie. I don't know. Yeah, I have finished my cookie, so we can get back to the real podcast now. Though I imagined most of that staying in. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I also remember it's like the the operating table is like basically like right at the foot of the staircase. Yeah. And there's like a shot where it's like uh front on at the staircase with like the the uh-huh. operating table with all the doctors around him and then yep. like the stairs behind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Just vividly remember these stairs. <laughs> Don't remember the faggy French guy. <laughs> no. I mean, I watched this at a time where I wasn't, like, really paying attention to the faggy French guy. (laughs) So, we watched Devil in a Blue Dress. This is a 1995 noir movie directed by Carl Franklin, starring Denzel Washington and other people, namely Don Cheadle and, I guess, some other people. Uh, Um, Yeah, truly Don Cheadle, the... the (laughs) Just steals every scene that he ends up being in, uh-huh. uh, which is not a lot of them. But right, so okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give everybody the broad rundown because, mm. like many noir movies, <clears throat> there are many twists and turns to how this plays out. But the the broad like overarching plot is pretty simple. Denzel Washington is Ezekiel Easy Rollins. He is an out-of-work 
a black man in Los Angeles in um, the just after the war, just after World War II. Um, it's interesting how even in 2023, I can say the war and people broadly understand that to mean World War II. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah. laughs> um, it's 1948 specifically. <clears throat> um, he he owns his house. Um, but he's out of work and he needs to pay his mortgage. So he's looking for work and, um, he falls in with this gangster guy who is looking for, um, let me get her name here. Daphne Monet played by Jennifer Beals. And, um, we don't really know why he's looking for her at first. And like, Denzel follows up on a lead and then the girl that he follows like gives him information she's killed and then he also like, fucks her and he, he fucks her yeah. and Denzel Washington's <laughs> really hot in this movie so it's yeah it's a good scene yeah yeah um but like he, he fucks her and then you know she's killed for giving him information and then this person is double crossing that person is double crossing this person um at, at a certain point Things are getting so rough that that Denzel calls his old buddy Don Cheadle Mouse from back in uh, Texas, um, and him and Mouse got into some stuff back, you know, back in the old days. Uh, and so Mouse shows up, and he's just like ready to shoot people whenever, which is a yeah. great energy that he brings into the movie. <laughs> the yeah. movie just becomes because because easy, he's like. He's a real smooth operator. Like he keeps getting his ass kicked, but he's you feel like he's got everything under control, you know? Yeah. Um and 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 so um when Don Cheadle comes in and he's just like in every scene he's in, you like you want me to shoot this guy easy? I'll shoot this guy. Yeah. Oh, oh just, easy. Why are you stopping me from shooting this guy? I'm ready to shoot this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um it's just I a know really you good, told like, me to tie up this guy and not shoot this guy, but oh, that takes a lot of time. I shot that guy. <laughs> but you can't be mad at me because then I came and I shot the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and 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 yeah like things escalate and basically what it boils down to is Daphne Monet um is a like white passing mixed mixed race woman who was in love with this guy who was running for mayor um the the other candidate for mayor found out and was going to blackmail um, the guy that she was into out of the race, like, because it's 1948 and like, you know, it, you know, people were so against, you know, mixed race couples that like this would have disqualified him for mayor, basically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, and she, Daphne Monet, got information, basically, that the other mayor, mayoral candidate was a pedophile. Um, and so... She was going to blackmail him, and he was going to blackmail her, and everything goes real bad for everybody involved. Uh, and then, how did, how exactly... I know she's in that cabin, and um, he saves her, but then I forget how the specifics of the last little bit play out. Um, um. Albright and his men arrive, subduing Easy and kidnapping Daphne. Uh, Daphne pays Easy and Mouse 7000 for the pictures, 
Uh, Mouse returns home to Houston with his share. Don Cheadle just is like, all right, I'm done being in this movie. And Denzel is like, thanks, Don. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But let me know if you want me to come back and shoot some more people for money, because this is a lot of money for shooting people. I'm pretty pleased with this. (laughs) (laughs) Daphne reveals that Carter's family paid her $30,000 to leave town, but she believes that the pictures will ensure Carter's victory and their marriage. Driving Daphne to meet Carter, who rejects her, Easy receives the rest of his payment in exchange for the pictures. Daphne and her brother leave town while Carter's election is assured, no longer in trouble with the police. Easy considers starting his own business as a PI. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I couldn't remember if like Denzel ended up with Daphne at the end. He's like kind of angling for it, but she's just too heartbroken at the end of it all. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it's like. It's like just a really good four star movie. I I wanted a movie where Denzel Washington is hot, and man, this movie delivered. He uh, spends eighty percent of this bitch in a tuck in, in, in a in a, a tank top, and when he's not in a tank top, he's in a really sharp suit. And thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, there was that moment of like the the. The whole, like, mystery part was getting, like, so twisty that I just gave up on, like, trying to follow. I was like, they're going to explain what any of this means. I'm just not even going to bother anymore. And it's right around the time that Don Cheadle shows up and just starts stealing every scene and being extremely entertaining. And I was just like, I'm just going to enjoy this ride. (laughs) It was like, it was like, he is so perfect the moment he enters the movie because yeah it's it's at that moment where i was like okay i have totally lost the thread of like and it, like i say in the in the like overall thing two guys who are running for mayor are blackmailing each other that's all it is yeah but like yeah it got so twisted and so complicated that yeah the exact moment don Cheadle enters the movie and just starts shooting people. Um, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, God. <laughs> apparently, apparently, um, uh, Walter Mosley just wrote a whole series of novels about Easy Rollins. Like, apparently, this is a like long running character he has, which is great. Uh, and apparently, this is like the first uh, Easy Rollins story. And then, um, one, two, three, four, like. 10 more novels at least running through the like late 90s and early 2000s oh these are still going in like 2016 damn nice the the one in 2016 is set in may 1968 so like we really cover we cover 20 20 years of american history through easy rollins that actually sounds kind of (laughs) good yeah um oh we did also i I wanted to note this we watched this on tubi um which should have commercials. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and I was like, oh, cause I, I've been watching Columbo and the prisoner on Tubi. Um, and there haven't been commercials. Uh, but when I was sick and, uh, Emily had taken my toddler to, um, uh, the color factory and I woke up and the apartment was empty and I had to make myself breakfast. I put the prisoner on the TV instead of my laptop. And I realized that the reason why I haven't gotten ads on Tubi is that I'm just watching it on a browser with ad blocker. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, mystery solved why this movie had, uh, 
as, and I never encountered it previously on TV. Because I've always I, just watched uh, it on my laptop. <laughs> I actually like watching The Prisoner with ads on TV because it makes it feel like a real TV show in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it doing it, it, it worked okay with this movie because this feels so powerfully like movie that I saw on TNT in like 2004. You yeah. know, I didn't, but it feels like that. <laughs> yeah. And that's really um, like the beautiful vibe of Tubi is that it does just feel like putting on like in a way that just like no other streaming service does. It just feels like putting on one of those channels. Um, yeah. Because I think they like basically just have the same business model of like getting these uh, shows and like movies and things that aren't getting like wide distribution. They can probably get for fairly cheap and then just put some ads on there and, mm-hmm. um, you know, get some some money that way. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it was great. It like specifically getting that vibe from it too was great. Um, yeah. I actually recommend it. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of I kind of don't have a lot to say about uh Devil in a Blue Dress beyond just like it's fun. Denzel's yeah. hot. Don Cheadle steals the show. Yeah. Like it's 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 it, yeah. I it was I don't a movie have that a ton. I didn't feel like I it was a movie where I didn't feel like I had a ton to say. Uh, uh-huh. but I probably could have said more and now it's been like a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the um, other thing. And I'm just like, I, I don't even have as many like specific scenes that I can just like are fresh in my memory, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there is the scene with, um, uh, easy, you know, Denzel Washington's character, uh, mouse, um, and, like some guy, I I don't even remember which guy it is. Who they're like? Oh, okay, okay. I was but they're like the sitting around scene. the table. Yes, this it's is fucking incredible. <laughs> the the guy. So so early in the movie, Easy goes home with this girl and her husband, and yeah. he's out cold. He like had a couple drinks, and that man is passed the fuck out. And Denzel is like fucking her and getting information out of her and then she's killed this scene later on is um denzel with the 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 widow the husband yeah um, and and mouse and and (laughs) mouse and and the husband are drunk 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 and easy is like mouse you're drunk and mouse is like i'll fucking shoot you don't you ever call me drunk And what was it easy? He's like, he's like, I didn't call you drunk. The other guy called you drunk. He's crazy. I know you're not a drunk man, <laughs> or something like that. He's just like totally. Yeah. He's just like, uh, it's he's also, a smooth talker. N- yeah. Now that you you have uh, refreshed some of it too, I think some of it is also um, that guy completely oblivious to the fact that easy fucked his wife. Yes. Uh, and talking about stuff about that night, uh, in a way where it keeps like getting close enough where like easy's like, mm, like <laughs> I, I was fucking your wife right then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You were, you were really asleep, man. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I left. Yeah. I didn't fuck your wife. Yeah. We, we, 
yeah. and like Mouse is like immediately picking up on it in the way that this guy is not. <laughs> it's also right because the guy, the guy is like, and she was such a good wife, you know. She never once cheated on me. Never once like looked at another man. <laughs> Something like that, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's um, so good. <laughs> Also, just when Mavs, like, first shows up is great, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because because you're like, that's Don Cheeto. Holy shit. And then, like, within two seconds, he's, like, pulling out a gun. <laughs> and yeah. Tinsel's like, you can't pull out a gun in my house. <laughs> and just swearing a bunch. <laughs> also, it's really funny because, like, there's, like, four different scenes in this movie where Denzel is like, and then I came home. Like, like he, like goes to like Daphne's um um like hotel that she's staying in and they do they do this whole thing and they see a murder and he comes home and he's real exhausted after a long day of investigating. Uh and then there's like three guys at his house that just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and then that happens like two or three more times that he like comes home and there's other people there just like waiting to beat him up or <laughs> harass him. Like there's like, like the time it goes best for him is the time that the police are like, We won't beat you up as long as you solve this case in the next twelve hours. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the best out best outcome for him coming home in this. <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah. How are the stairs? Do you remember any fucking stairs? I don't we watched this movie weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I feel like at some point we said stairs. But also I mean it's a movie set in LA. Like I did remember- he have stairs in his home? He doesn't have stairs in his home. I remember he goes to the hotel, and there's some stairs that you kind of see from the side that, like, look nice, but there's not really a scene there. Yeah. I don't remember, like, a... I don't think there's a stairwell scene. Yeah. There are the stairs that go up to, like, the... It's not, like, an actual speakeasy, because, um... Prohibition's mm. not in effect, but like there's like a, a sort of I guess it's kind of like there's a few bars in Chicago that, that do this where like a speakeasy existed and you you can still get in there if you know how, but also it's just like part of a, a bar. Like there's just like a yeah. bar and then if you know the secret door you can get into like the speakeasy part of the bar. But it's all just like more above ground now. Um well, and it's 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 partly it's more just like, hey, you have to be cool for us to let you in. Yeah. You know, it's like partly a way of like screening people for coming in the bar. Yeah, and I remember there were stairs going up there. Yeah, and and they have a conversation with, on the stairs. Yeah, he he interacts with uh, Junior. Is it? The, yeah, the like hitman kind of who uh, smokes yeah. a unique brand of cigarettes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I feel um, like that could get us like a an A maybe. Oh, I was thinking like a like B. A, or B, yeah. Let's do a B. Okay. Well, next time we are watching Soleil O, directed by Med Hondo. This is a 1970 movie. And then after that, uh just to get Juo to shut the fuck up. 
we're gonna watch Black Orpheus. <laughs> no, that's not true. We are gonna watch Black Orpheus. It is not just to get Joe to shut up. But it is funny to say that. <laughs> but it is a little bit that. <laughs> it is a little bit that. <laughs> um And then Yeah, I feel like now that we're back, I do want to, like, get into the habit of doing, like, a Twin Peaks check-in a little more. I remember we watched the first episode of season two, and I remember we were surprised because we were like, oh, this is a 90-minute episode. I thought we were watching a 40-minute episode. And it's a David Lynch one, so it's pretty good. And now I'm talking about it, and maybe we talked about this on the Smooth Talk episode? Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. We I don't think we've watched past the first episode of season two, but I want to like get in the habit of like I want I want us to like watch a little more Twin Peaks this this yeah. week just to like like know. at least one a week maybe yeah. more but at least one yeah <clears throat> uh, I just want to like get that ball rolling so yeah uh, but yeah after Black Orpheus I don't think we haven't planned that far ahead have we we got ideas no. but like we're that's all we got set in uh, stone right now yeah. Uh, at some point I'll probably start bringing in some, some, uh, documentaries. Yeah, totally. Um, well, where can people find you online? Um, people can find me at Fox Omnia on Twitter and co-host. Um, if you if you go there, I have a pinned tweet that links all of my podcasts, which obviously includes this one. Um, but also, so the the biggest one I will promo um, is Ghost Divers, where we're doing Iron Blooded Orphans right now. Uh, if you are a, a fan of Iron Blooded Orphans, if you have broken the GGP timeline, um, possibly before they even started doing GGP uh, or after, I know a lot of people. Um, even people who like follow GGP have, have gone and watched that. Highly encourage people to check it out. Um, Connor and I have been I haven't even work. seen Iron Blooded Orphans and I'm really enjoying the episodes. Yeah, so. have you listened at all to the one from when we're recording from today? Um, I haven't listened to the one that went up today, but I listened to the intro and the first one. Yeah. So. Um, the first one was good. I think we, we did good work on it. Uh, it was one of those where it's like hard because. Gundam is like a franchise that you then have uh-huh. to like situate this work in. So we had to like, you know, talk a lot about how is this engaging in like broader Gundam themes? How is it doing its own variations? Um, and then the, the most recent one um, for seven through 13, uh, we got to like really dig into like, what is this show specifically doing? Um, and also a lot of stuff comes up around like, uh, gender and sex in a way that wasn't quite happening before um and i think we did a a really great job sort of unpacking some of that stuff um especially because i I think there's some elements a lot of people just immediately write off as like uh anime trope stuff whereas i think the series is actually trying to talk about that in some way so um yeah i'm very proud of that episode encourage people to go listen to it um also go listen to around the long fire um we are currently reading Nyal Saga, um, which is a, a classic, uh, you know, considered the best saga. I think currently Emma and I are in agreement that Lock Style Saga is the best one that we've read so far. Um, but Nyal has had its moments. Uh, there's some great mm-hmm. moments in there. Uh, also, at some point, we're going we're gonna to be watching some Viking films. Uh, it's, it's in the future, but it's happening. Um, and... 
Lem has now joined us. Um, and then Pondering Puton is just increasingly becoming a podcast where Connor tries to remember things about movies. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting gaslit by Puton every week now. <laughs> um, I do have a movie-related thing planned for next week that I've been planning since we started this volume. So uh, I did not know that Connor was going to keep the remembering stuff from movies going for so long, uh, where it would just be normal for me to bring a movie. <laughs> but uh preview for Puton. I'm going to talk about a movie. Um. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal. You can go to exportaw.io. That takes you to the Patreon page. On the landing for that, we've got like all the free feeds for all the podcasts. And then um, for $1 a month, you get this podcast early. You get Gotham City Limits early. There is, uh, by the time you're hearing this, there is a very special episode of Gotham City Limits in the, in the feed from yesterday. I hope people enjoy that. Um, uh, pardon my franchise uh, comes out early on the Patreon feed. And then the other um, thing you could do is for $5 a month, you get um, Pop Town Funk. Nora and I are going to... Nora and I like want to make sure we take care of the $5 patrons in, in March. So we're going to do some pop town. We're going to try and get y'all some good stuff uh, there. Um, also, you get extra episodes of Coffee and Comic Books. We today recorded um, a episode for the $5 patrons. Um, the first hour, we are joined by Jackson to talk about Billy Bat. And for the second hour, it's just me and Rick talking about uh, Alan Moore and his comic Top Ten. Uh, Gene Ha also worked on that. I spent a lot of time in that episode being like, man, it's really important that we talk about Alan Moore's collaborators. And then I also spent a lot of that episode attributing everything that was good about that comic to Alan Moore. That's my bad. <laughs> Um, I also attributed everything that was bad about that comic to him. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and then, um, next week we will have another episode of coffee and comic books for the $5 patrons. Cause I sort of, I, we hit an imbalance where there were way more free episodes than patron episodes. So I wanted to fix that. Our next, uh, our episode that we're recording next week is going to be about through the woods an all-ages book written and drawn by um, Emily Carroll, and then um, a uh, <clears throat> When I Arrived at the Castle, a extremely not all-ages book um, about... Uh, get this now. Vampires have sex sometimes, and it's hot. I don't know yeah. if you ever heard that on any other episodes of this podcast, maybe, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be covering an erotic vampire comic, uh, also written and illustrated by Emily Carroll. So that'll be the next episode after um, the top ten Billy Bat one. So yeah, I really, I really think people should listen to. Um, I really think people should listen to Coughing Comic Books. I think we make a great podcast there. Yeah. Also, five dollar patrons this week got just a little bonus audio, just a little like Nora and I recorded a thing. Uh, for Puton, and you used about five seconds of it, so I put the other two and a half minutes, and that's just for the $5 patrons. If you want two and a half minutes of me and me and my wife goofing around, we were pretty funny. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's everything. Yeah. Are we, uh, announcing the thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, we should. So I don't know when we're going to record this. Um, I was thinking Sunday makes the most sense, but then listeners wouldn't be able to hear it, hear this Wait, in like time, this so. Sunday? Yeah, I was like, that makes sense for, like, our schedules, but I don't know about, like, yeah. We should wait till after this episode well, goes out. We can record it this Sunday and mm-hmm. then hold like sit on it and release it after people have after people hear this and can submit their votes. We can do so, we can do what uh yeah, VoIP did. We can do what VoIP did. Yeah. So inspired by VoIP Life, um uh VoIP Life just did a bracket of all the movies they've covered for repertory screenings and Beach House and Blockbusters and everything. Uh, And that was a lot of fun to listen to. And Nora and I were talking and Nora was like, we should do that for export. And she because Nora was like, it would be really fun to have to argue about like, is RoboCop 3 better than like Skinamarink or whatever? And I'm like, that's not going to be good. (laughs) But yeah. I did make I did make that bracket for ornate stairwells. Um, I did all the movies we've covered, and I got to sixty eight. So then we ended up filling it out with a bunch of other movies that we've talked about in segment one. Yeah, um, we briefly talked about um, cutting stuff, and I was like, we don't even have because we only did like the main ones. We don't have ones that I feel like are core stairwells movies, like Kagemusha, uh, Rattles Hood. The the first battles without like we have those ones that we watched before we actually started the podcast and those still feel core like references we've made. Um, yeah, we don't have deep cover, which like deep cover is just a stairwell. I feel like people have listened <laughs> to stairwells; they know about deep cover. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we we filled out a we we made a bracket, hundred and twenty eight movies. Um, we're just we're just stealing VoIP Life's idea, uh, just straight up. Um. And so, if you want to go to... Let me just double-check that the, I have this right here. Uh, yeah. Challenge, C-H-A-L-L-O-N-G-E dot com slash ornate stairwells. There's a bracket there, and you can create a prediction. I seeded it by popularity on Letterboxd. Um, so, you can guess how we are going to vote. Um, I see that... Uh, Juo has already. I don't know that this is Juo. He didn't sign it, but he did say your cartoon people, and so I do know that that's him. Um, yeah, that's signing <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, people will put that out, and people can put their predictions in. Uh. And yeah. Um. I'll. We can put the link in the description of this episode but yeah challenge.com slash ornate stairwells yeah um yeah i think that's everything yeah um when we do this we'll have to like oh do a different bracket just so people don't see us yes yes well we'll have to not put it in until the episode releases but i i I thought of something and I realized I didn't talk to you about it at all. I was thinking 
I was thinking this might be a nice, like, bonus thing for, at the bare minimum, $1 patrons, and maybe just for $5 patrons, but I think this should be a Patreon thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to say $5. I kind of feel like you should pay us for this. <laughs> yeah. if, you want the silly, if you want the silly, like, bonus content, you gotta pay $5. I feel like that's reasonable. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, look forward to that, everybody. Um, let's get out of here. Okokoro is real. <coughs> Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Well, you coughed. I felt like I had to reset it. Okokoro is real. 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 Okokoro is real.
Uh, alright. Uh, that's the new electric ham. Wow. Should we, like, clap or something? I don't know if we hit record at a good time. E yeah, let's, uh, time.is. Let's... Can I get a 43? Okay. Alright. Alright, so we got a new electric cam. That's good. That's good. Damn. Don't Heathcl ever say who doggy. Heathcliff can hoop. Heathcliff can hoop. I told you. Damn. Heathcliff ballin'. Heathcliff ballin'. I didn't know he had moves like that. That's impressive. I did know he was a big fan of Jimmy. Yeah. Did you know he, he's also got a thing for the Utz girl? Uh, let me see. Let me see here. You know what? Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. Um... <clears throat> Can I? Uh, hi, listeners. You're in the non-homophobia zone of the podcast. Uh, it's been a hard month for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, we sort of intended to miss one episode. There was my vacation mm. and your vacation, and we're like, we'll miss one episode. That's fine. I was in a situation where I was working a ton of overtime and I couldn't record the podcast. All of a sudden, we missed two episodes instead of one. And then you were working a bunch of overtime. And it yeah. was like... Well, and there was a part where it was like, maybe we'll... We weren't planning to record, but maybe we'll we'll slide one in right before we go on vacation. Yeah, like a little oh, a yeah. short one or something. Yeah. But then you had I mean, to work we, a bunch of overtime and you couldn't record, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I was free that night, but I was just, like, I was so exhausted. I've talked about this a little bit on, I think it came up on, like, Longfire or Puton or something. Um, of, like, it was the the perfect, like, uh, spot in the middle between just, like, mindless work and then work that you is, like, actually engaging, where you have to focus, but it's still boring. And that's just, like, the most exhausting place to, like, have to be in for literally, like, 80 work hours. So. And then I got COVID, which is why we were yeah. recording remote. Um, and it's just, like, we missed another week. So now it was three weeks. And this is usually, like, the most consistent podcast that we do, you know? Yeah. Well, so I mean, Ghost Divers is, like, my most consistent, but that's because... There's built in yeah. making it consistent. Yeah. Um and it's just it it's just felt shitty, you know? Like not not I'm worried about letting the listeners down or I'm worried about letting you down. It's just stairwells is so much a part of like my routine. Like my every week yeah. stairwells is just like a thing that grounds me and not having that the last three weeks has fucking sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know, I, I we haven't recorded yet, like, the actual episode. I don't know that it's going to be, like, a great episode, because I don't know, we're doing it remote, 
Um, and I don't know where our energy is at, but like, yeah, the energy is always a little off now when we're remote because we we're just used to recording in person now. Well, and I did. Um, usually, coffee and comic books is about one hour. It was two hours today. Great episode. But then I left from coffee and comic books, and I drove out to fucking Schaumburg. Um, fucking Schaumburg. It's just like a. I, it was an hour there, and I had to. Okay, so. The GPS told me to to take, you know, Lawrence all oh, the way you to... you took... Oh, it's... wait. It told you... It didn't tell you to get on the expressway at all. No, no, no. So, so the, the GPS was like, take Lawrence all the way to 90? Yeah. Which, which was terrible. I should have taken Montrose um, because Lawrence... All the time, but especially at fucking 5 p.m., it was just stop and start. It was just, it was so much traffic, and there's a stoplight every five feet. And I literally, once I got on the highway, it was okay. But I had to, I had to pull over on the highway because I thought I was going to puke from being so motion sick from being in that stop and go traffic. And so I pulled over. For like a minute, and seriously, I was like, I'm about to get out of this car and hurl on the highway. And luckily, I was able to sort of like breathe, and like I burped, and it was fine. But it was... The fucking... Going down Lawrence to 90 is the worst fucking shit in the world. Um, Yeah. And then we had a... We had a... I had dinner with my stepmom. She told me all about how she listened to that one staircase podcast. Um, I hope she didn't listen to the Smooth Talk episode where I shit-talked her husband. Um, he's probably, he might be listening to this. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, she was telling me about, uh, he's very proud of the podcast and I'm like, Oh, he might, he might just be a stairwells listener now. I don't know. Hi dad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for shit talking you. Uh, you, you know, we've been through things, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know that. If it's any consolation, I also shit talk my parents. You should talk your dad. You know, it's chill. Yeah, um, I feel like I should talk to my mom more, but um, no, no, no. I'm I'm saying the... my dad shit talks his dad. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my family dynamic was also just generally reversed from most, where my mom was the one who was like working all the time, and my dad also worked all the time, but was more of the like the one who cooked and things. So, but yeah, we, um, my stepmom and I had a lovely dinner. Um, we caught up. It was great. We ate a uh, Korean barbecue. Um, and, uh, I got absolutely stuffed. Um, and then the drive back was much more pleasant because it wasn't, it wasn't like rush hour anymore. But then yeah. I like, there's like, there's not a ton of nightlife in my neighborhood, but there's like just enough that say, hypothetically, you got home at like 8.30 p.m. on a Friday, and you wanted to just find parking on your fucking street, fuck you. No. Yeah. You will circle this block for 20 minutes trying to find parking. This is, and then this I had to like park a, in a paid spot. I'm about to say some like real local Chicago stuff, but like uh-huh. you should go to your alderman and talk about how they should do some sort of like uh, permit parking for, for- They really should. Yeah. They should. Um, hey, do you know, um, I managed to get my, I managed to get my ballot in, um, I got the early voting ballot, um, 
and I forgot to fill it out until the day of the election, but I did manage to get it sent in. Um, I saw there's a runoff between, was it Chewy and Brandon Johnson? No, it's uh, Vallis. Vallis, okay. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to make goddamn sure that Nora registered to vote. We are going to vote for Brandon Johnson. Cause... Yeah, especially with um, Vallis. Vallis is like the, the most shitty, like basically a Republican, but running in the, the Democratic Party to try and get any hope for votes for him, I guess, in Chicago. Like a Republican's not, uh, an out Republican is not going to win in Chicago. Yeah. Um, but you have this like extremely right, in, in terms of Democratic Party, uh, just like right center um, mm. guy. Yeah. Are, are they doing early voting again for the for the next election for the runoff? Um, yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, so Emily and I have it where they just send us the mail-in ballots every single time. Um, I know it's like an option you can do. Um, and so we just like made that request because we we're like, well, we just kind of like doing it this way anyway. And Chicago um, is really good about just making that like you don't have to prove. Yeah, it's know. so much more um, accessible than it has been in other places I've lived. Yeah. Um, um, like you just have to request it. If you want it, you can request it and you can request it for like basically for life. So okay. um, that's what we've done. Um, but yeah, they'll they'll send that to you. So. Okay. Well, I, I I don't know that I I did that, but I will I, I will make sure to like go online. Remind me tomorrow. Um, I'm gonna make yeah. sure that I get my because man, we cannot have fucking Vallis running this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, he sucks. I'm I'm um, glad I'm glad that Brandon Johnson's in the runoff. I I was worried it was yeah. gonna be like, ooh, runoff between like Lori Lightfoot and Vallis or something, you know? Yeah, I knew that it wasn't gonna be um. Lori Lightfoot, just because like everybody, everybody hates her. I part of being the mayor is it like, uh, you really got to be doing shit right, or else people just don't like you in yeah. Chicago. Like, mm-hmm. um, I I feel like it's hard to get like high approval. Uh, mm-hmm. but but Lori in particular was um, like when she first ran, uh, you know when she got elected, I was like, oh, this will probably be fine, and she was just like instantly sucked. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just keep thinking about the the and i granted i only read the the headline i didn't read the full thing but um a customer at the at the star the starbucks i work at <laughs> left a newspaper on the counter a couple months ago that i remember reading uh the headline was like lori lightfoot says um if someone's arrested they're probably guilty <laughs> and i'm just like that's not how it works that's literally <laughs> The opposite of how it works in this country. Other places they they do they do that, but here I mean it's yeah I mean it's not the opposite of how it works, but in terms of the the way that laws are written, that's supposed to be the in opposite terms of, of how it works. what the the people who like what the mayor should be saying. The, yeah. the mayor should be at least like. Well, I do think that, like, you know, basic human rights of, like, innocent till proven guilty should be upheld. <laughs> like, I shouldn't have to believe that, but I do want her to say yeah. it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. Yeah, Lightfoot's been, been awful, but... So, I, I, I did not think at all that she was going to get, um... 
you know, was going to end up in the runoff. I, I knew that this would probably end in a runoff. Um, there were like eight this, candidates, right? Yeah. Uh, but so of the ca- candidates, uh, Vallis got the most votes. But also I could see more of the people who voted for some of the like, um, like least, you know, smaller number ones, mm-hmm. um, those going to Brandon Johnson. So I think, I think Brandon Johnson has like a, a, a decent shot at this, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm also not going to say he's a shoe in. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. that's, that's why it's like, I really, I really want to make sure that like we get our votes in because like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, Chicago, I, I, th- I may have even said this before on this podcast, but like living in Chicago is just the, like a lesson in, electoral politics don't really matter on a like national scale, but locally they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause anytime that you go to vote like for Chicago elections, you just look at like, okay, who's going to be the Senator. And you're like, well, it's going to be the Democrat. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. why? Well, I, I don't even need to vote. That's who's, who's going to win. Yeah. Um, you know, Chicago is always going to go towards the democratic president. Uh, you know, candidate. So mm-hmm. we're going to be the Republican. Um, I don't think it has been in an extremely long time. Um, I, I but then you I don't think it's gone like, that way since like Reagan swept. You know. Yeah. Um. But then you look at the like local stuff, and you're like, oh, this is actually stuff that like matters. Like Alderman's the thing that like, you know, you you don't always have someone running for alderman if like the current alderman is popular enough usually mm-hmm. uh that's the biggest one um there are a lot of ones who are like if people are generally happy with the alderman people are going to try and challenge them mm-hmm. and then you also get ones where maybe someone's leaving or um there are people dissatisfied and then you'll get like an alderman election and like that stuff matters <laughs> it's it's funny um, it's funny so the ward that i'm in the guy ran unopposed but yeah. I live like right on the edge of another ward where there were, I think, five different people running, and it was mm-hmm. a contentious issue. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think we're in the same ward where it's. <laughs> this is giving it too much. I'll I'll bleep this. But I, I don't I don't think we live um, in the same ward. Okay. If we're if we're bleeping this, I think you're in, <laughs> and I'm in. No, I'm in the. Okay, but when I was when I was working at that um at that Starbucks up the road, I was, that store was in the and one of the people running for Alderman in the was, uh, one of our regulars. Uh, no, two, two of our customers there were, were running for Alderman. It was very contentious when they were both in the cafe at the same time. Yeah. Um, the previous election, our Alderman, uh, was, there was multiple people running because the, the current person, like, wasn't running again or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one was like, uh, I was going to like, you know, at the high school gym, like debates and things. God. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> For just like, who's in charge of this little section of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the, the, the guy we have now, I think is pretty good. Um, Oh, there was one guy who was just like extremely uh, 
like he was a landlord and it was just clear that like all of his policies is he wanted to help out landlords and god i, <laughs> I was like uh some of these other people like I, I don't like as much but uh you know i'd be fine with uh you you <laughs> you like you cannot be alderman you just cannot <laughs> I want a ballot, and I just want to vote against that guy. Can I, like, yeah. I will use my vote to give this guy negative one. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's been the Chicago Politics Minute, I guess. Yeah. Um. Any other non-homophobia you want to... Um... Oh, I, I think at this point I hate gay people. <laughs> Okay, well, it's time to do the podcast. <laughs> That's um, not true. <laughs> well, we can't do the podcast. 